Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 253 with Christine Barbrick and Piera Gelati of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder Fam? Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine and also the host of the Founder Podcast. So I hope you're all having a great day wherever you are around the world. just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. I just want to share with you, as I do every now and then, what's happening in my world and give you a little bit of a quick update. So uh, one thing that's really exciting uh, for me is I've just come back from New York and we've just set up our New York office, which is super, super exciting. It's uh, one of the final pieces of the puzzle to really make sure that every single podcast interview eventually won't be done by me. Uh, majority will be done by a new show host in United States, in, in uh, NYC. And then uh, secondly, because we want to get all these video, we want to get all these interviews in video format. Um, and funnily enough, this one that we're about to share with you actually was shot in video because we want to produce more video content for you guys. Video is where it's at. And like, I, I love my family here. I love my friends. I love being in Melbourne and, you know, build up an incredible team out of New York. So I'm going to kind of be in between, but I still want to base myself out of Melbourne. So, Unfortunately, something has to give and I have to eventually get myself off the tool. So yeah, basically that's really, really exciting. I'm really excited to really um, help scale out our content that we produce for you guys out of America. And then also, I really want us to really scale out our educational course platform where 
in the next couple of years, we're going to have hundreds of courses taught by world-class founders that are actually practitioners teaching. And there's nowhere on the planet that you can get this kind of advice and education that you're going to be able to get through all of these different courses going deep on one particular topic. So that's it for me. I'm going to stop rambling. Let's talk about today's guests, Christine and Piera. So these two gals, they are two of four co-founders of a company called Refinery29. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode with uh, their other two co-founders, Philip Von Boras and Justin Stefano, make sure you do because they they go really deep on everything like the media industry. If you've got a digital media company, what do you need to do to succeed in today's age? And really, we really go deep on strategy. Now, with Christine and Piera, we talk around content, what it takes to produce incredible content. What does great content look like? What does it mean to actually build a business around content? And the girls get really vulnerable. They share the hard times, which is not something that you often hear about. You know, this is an incredibly successful company. These girls and these founders have done incredible things to build Refinery29 to what it is today. So I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. So that's it from me, guys. I really hope that you're enjoying this show. If you are, please do leave us a review on iTunes. And also, we are launching something incredibly cool. Uh, So many of you guys want to know how to build a successful online business, in particular around, you know, how do you build an online business around your passion or maybe it's something that you're interested in and, you know, how do you create digital products and information products around your you as a person or the knowledge that you're, you have inside your head? How do you, how do you package that up? So we are working on something very, very powerful uh, that's going to help you do that. And uh, it's pretty much one of the most requested courses. Uh, So it's definitely not something you want to miss and it's going live soon. So if you want to find out more on how you can do this and get the early bird specials and all sorts of bonuses, make sure you sign up to the wait list. It's founder.com forward slash infinite scale. Now, this is a course that I will be teaching and I'm going to be sharing with you everything that we've learned on how to build an online business and audience and really create digital products and courses at scale. So if you guys want to know how to do this, go to founder.com forward slash infinite scale. We'll be launching something in a couple of weeks. You do not want to miss this. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? Um, we start with you, Christine. It. Starting the company, <laughs> starting Refinery29. Yeah. How did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Well, I can thank this um, this lovely human sitting beside me for that. Um, nice yeah, Piera was um, was dating Philip Bomborius, who's one of our co-founders and also one of the co-CEOs of our company. And she and I had previously worked together at another startup, a magazine that no longer exists, but that was incredibly beloved. It was a design and fashion publication called City. And um, Piera started out there as an intern. I was the editor of the magazine, and we worked together for four and a half years, I think. Um, She was still 
at college, and it was my first um, foray outside of corporate publishing and corporate media. And um, I think the two of us really learned um, to be independent thinkers there and to be creative thinkers on a on a on a much more um, in a much more liberated space than I had ever experienced before, um, just in a in a professional environment, and. So fast forward, Piera was was with Philip, and Philip and Justin and another um, friend of theirs were in the very very beginning stages of developing this concept for a digital media company that would really cater to independent fashion brands, and I was pretty I guess pretty versed in in the in working in within among fashion content and fashion brands, and. Piera asked me if I would be interested in consulting for them and just giving them some advice, you know, from a from a woman's perspective. And I remember meeting them, and I've told this story a few times, but it's such a it was such a profound feeling for me. It's really worth repeating, um, especially in a setting like this. Is when I met with them and they told me about what they wanted to do, and you have to really think about the time that this took place. This was very, you know, this was early millennia, I guess. It was it was 2004 when we all met as a as a as a team, I guess, as a, as a group. And this is before Twitter. This is a this is before so much of what we see as the internet today and how we use it and the different, you know, kinds of companies that we engage with on a daily basis. And um, so this was really the great unknown in a very literal, you know, in a, in a very literal meaning. And I just remember feeling when they were telling me about the concept, I told her later, I said, I don't think I want to consult. I think I want to be a partner. And I think I want to really have a much more meaningful role in, in starting up this business. And I could already see that traditional publishing was changing at that time, that magazines were starting to, um, they were starting to recede in terms of their importance and the role that they were playing, um, you know, in brands businesses. And also there was such a limited, um, a limited way of communicating with audience there. It was a very one-way conversation. So I was really, I felt limited and restricted myself and as an editor and a writer wanting to connect more deeply with the people that I was, you know, creating content for. So when I called Piera up and I told her that I was thinking about doing this and I said, well, what about you? Are you thinking about doing this? Because she was already, you know, essentially consulting for them as well. And... I didn't really have to twist your arm. You just sort of were like, well, if you do it, I do it, and vice versa. And so we decided to do yeah. it together. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and meanwhile, here I was, you know, I um, really my first real job in college was at City Magazine where Christine was my mentor. She was my boss. You know, she taught me so much about, you know, everything that I learned there. And as Christine said, it was a really amazing environment to be in because it was very free and also a place where you could learn about so many different things. So um, because it because it was really open, even though I actually wasn't 
um, supposed to be working for Christy and I came in as a photo intern. Um, I learned, you know, I learned editing. I, I learned how her. to write headlines. Christine taught me a lot about, you know, creating content. I, but I simultaneously was learning about photography, styling, how the ad sales side worked. So it was a really great environment to really understand all parts of the content creation process. But um, similar to Christine, I was feeling kind of antsy. I felt um, a little bit bored with just the magazine cycle and, and just how stagnant it kind of felt. Like there was a lot of room for creativity within it, but... Um, it didn't really feel like it was going somewhere new. So at the time, I had worked up to being the photo director at the magazine, and Christina had left, but we had stayed friends. And yeah, I just sort of slid into consulting with Philip and Justin on this project that they were working on that I thought was really exciting. I was you know, really inspired by a lot of the um, emerging voices in fashion that we were covering, the fact that we were really focused on independent style, that it wasn't about these rules of fashion, which neither Christine or I really ever um, adhered to or were interested in. And I just liked that it was another creative pursuit. Like I love the entrepreneurial spirit of it. Um, but I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't really thinking of it as a business endeavor and I wasn't really thinking about my own interest. Um, so I was just, you know, kind of consulting for free without any set agreement. And, you know, I told them they should talk to Christine and I thought that she would refer them to another former intern or assistant. And so it totally, you know, blew my mind when she called me and, you know, said that she wanted to get involved in a more official capacity. And it really helped me to see the bigger vision. Like I was excited about it and I was working in it, but because she wanted to sign up, it showed me that bigger vision and also really reminded me to, you know, think about my own value in the equation and to ask, you know, ask for the same and to become a partner, at, uh, you know, like she was. So, um, yeah, so then we all joined and, you know, now we have four co-founders and we're building <laughs> the city together. <laughs> together. Yeah. Yeah, well, and... Hey, guys, I really hope you're feeling inspired from today's interview. The truth is there's never been a better time to build an e-commerce business. And the best part is you don't have to do it alone. And that's where Founder Plus comes in, which I'm really excited to share with you. If you're feeling stuck in your e-commerce business, lacking confidence to move forward, or really worrying about making costly mistakes, Founder Plus is here to support you. You get access to a customized learning pathway with proven frameworks from successful e-commerce founders for fast results, a supportive community, weekly live mentorship, exclusive savings on startup tools and 24-7 real human support. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash Founder Plus trial or click the link in our show notes to claim your trial. All right, now I'll jump back in the show. Um, the guy said that like they they had a business plan on, on, on a napkin. Were you guys there at that meeting when they did the business plan? That was with their meeting with Christine. Ah. Yeah. I mean there was a lot of sketching, you know. We we it's it, for a digital company we did a lot of things very hands on. I remember I used to draw all of our newsletter and like homepage wireframes and then give mm -hmm. them to our designer, you know, the first media kit. I remember Justin and I sitting and sketching it out at a coffee shop I, apparently the lure is that they showed christine the business plan on a napkin so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of hand done work at the beginning <laughs> yes there's um there's it was also there was something so like i i think um the hand the hand made aspect of it was very 
much like the story of the beginnings of this company. I mean, there was still, it was hard to find people to actually help us build things, you know? I mean, it was, you know, we were, we were actually essentially learning about, you know, developers and how to work with like, you know, graphic designers and a digital medium. And, and I think that when you look back at the, um, at the first iteration of Refinery29, I mean, it just, it really deeply warms my heart because I think it's still beautiful. I think it's so beautiful. And I think about the mindset that we all had where it was such a, it was, it was, there wasn't anything to compare our, our company and our brand to because there were so few um, properties that were, that were doing what we were doing. So when you sort of start out and you really are at the beginning of something, you have so much freedom yeah. to just test things. And, and I, I do credit that period, the first two years, where we were essentially flying under the radar as this really important um, testing ground for us to really see what felt like the right next move, you know, with each with with each expansion that we made. Yeah, that was such a nice period because yeah, it was like it really felt like the the Wild Wild West. There was no roadmap for what we were doing. There wasn't much competition. Most of the traditional publishers saw, you know, digital as a phase. A lot of the big brands saw digital as a phase, which is so I know, so laughable now, but truly people, we would go talk to people and they would act like we were trying to sell, you know, sell them a carpet or something. They didn't, they, they didn't, they thought it was a scam. Um, and you know, as hard as that was at times, because it was hard to get people to take us seriously, it also allowed us so much freedom to explore and develop and experiment without having the, you know, all the pressure of, of, competition. Um, and I think we were able to really pioneer this new space because it was, it was a, you know, open road. And I think it's also so important to really recognize the other founders at that time that were doing something in a digital medium. And, you know, someone like, you know, Natalie Massonet, who was like literally the first person to, you know, believe in e-commerce and that people would want to buy clothes online. I mean, we had so many conversations with potential advertisers and brand partners. And I still remember the companies, you know, where they were and the fact that they said, you know, no, we don't really think our customers ever going to want, want to buy things online. Mm-hmm. We don't think that they're, they're going to want to buy something that they can't try on. And and I just remember thinking, like, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I actually don't really think that's true. I think you could be wrong. But you have to really trust your gut because it didn't exist yet. I mean, yeah. it's it, it's not that long ago, but in a lot of ways, it's a long time ago. And so much has, you know, determined the direction of this world that, you know, we operate in now. And, um, and I think about how little we knew, but how... I believe how courageous we were and and how confident that we believe this was really going to become everyone's new normal. Yeah, and like, fast forward to now, you guys have an incredibly well-known brand in the media space. You guys are one of the fastest growing media companies out there and definitely leading the charge in this kind of new digital media space where you can build a really sustainable business model and you guys, you know, you lead the creative and the content side of the business. So I'd love to hear kind of 
How has things changed from the content and the creative perspective? I know you guys have moved into many different verticals. You do like, you know, these incredible events, which I'd love to talk to you about, right? 29 Rooms. and But then also you guys, like, I love the Money Diary series and I, I'm not. You and everyone else. Yeah, I, I'm not. Like, I don't know if I'm, I'm supposed to be your target market in that aspect because, you you know, you, you guys are producing content for, mm-hmm. for millennial women. So, um how has how the content changed from the early days to where it is now in terms of that voice? Yeah. Just one clarification. We do produce content that's focused on women, but we think content that's focused on women should be interesting to everyone. So you absolutely are the audience for Money Diaries. Okay. So enjoy it. Also, I think <laughs> people universally appreciate, appreciate um, ideas around money. Yeah. Mm. People don't talk about it enough, and I think that that's one of the big reasons why the, the the series is so successful. Yeah. So how has the content changed? Well, I, I, I mean, I think that the spirit and the ethos has really remained the same. I think that from the early days, you know, Christine and I, you know, collaborating so closely, you know, as a content and creative team, and we both, you know, overlap so much there. Um, you know, we really were focused on on experimentation. We were so invigorated by having access to the knowledge of our audience in real time. You know, when you work in a magazine, you don't get that. You might get some letters to the editor, but you're not getting the immediacy of feedback and of, you know, seeing the numbers, seeing the comments, seeing, you know, how people are sharing Mm. content. So that was something that we found creatively really inspiring to be able to see a success and then immediately build off of it um, or see what other ideas it sparked. So I think that that spirit of experimentation, that 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 connection to the audience still really fuels us as well as, um, you know, our desire has always been to elevate underrepresented voices to really bring these new ideas to the surface and challenge, you know, sort of what is in the mainstream and, and how the mainstream media speaks to and about women. Um, so I think those things are all through lines. But, but you know, in the early days, we were just focused on style. I remember the first time we did an experiment with doing a beauty newsletter. Um, it felt like such a big departure for us. And it was, you know, ended up being our biggest success of that month. So we kept building. And, and that was sort of how we broke into these new um, all these new verticals was through these different experiments. I remember Christine was really interested in um, wellness, and we did a few experiments, you know, in testing out our audience's appetite for wellness, and saw that was a big um, shift. And I think it's always also been about like what's underserved. You know, when when we were thinking about expanding, it's like, you know, sex content for women was so. Um, heteronormative it was so not focused on women's pleasure or bodily autonomy we we wanted to we saw that as like a white space so it was kind of seeking out the white space thinking about what was really resonating with us with the people that worked with us and with our audience and just just always looking for that that new territory um so i mean it feels very organic when i think back to sort of how we got from here to there but of course Probably from a further distance, it seems like a complete, um, a complete departure. What do you think, Christine? I think I, th- I mean I agree with everything you said. The only other thing I would add is that um, you know information in this business becomes both a blessing and a curse because you know we have all of this information and data 
and historical knowledge at our disposal to help guide us in making good choices and in terms of how we plan our content. But I think in some ways you lose that spontaneity where that was something I really, really loved, um, you know, having an idea, a weird idea, even mm-hmm. like, you know, we, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, just having an idea to do something and being able to pursue it and not worry so much about like what the outcome was going to be or worry that it was going to hit a certain traffic benchmark. Mm. And I think those benchmarks are really important because they help to guide us and they help us to um, build on our success so we can really make sure that the team is using their time wisely. But I also never want to lose that... Um, instinct. That instinct and that 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 desire that editors and writers and creative mm-hmm. makers feel about just making something because they feel like they need to. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge when, you know, you you, you have a company at this stage and um, and growth, you know, certain certain um, stages of growth are really important to meet at certain times. And and um, and I think that both Pierre and I we see our roles now as we've evolved so much in the company is to be a a sort of active reminder of that with our teams and anybody that touches um, events or video or, you know, flat content or a newsletter even. And that's really important to me because I think that that's really what motivates people is when they feel like they're making content that they deeply love, but that's also that's also touching a person's life. And I think that at the end of the day, that's one of the, re- one of the big reasons why Pierre and I wanted to do this yeah. is that we didn't feel that the priorities of other, um, of other businesses and publications were really aligned with our own. Um, and with that comes an enormous responsibility, you know, knowing mm. that we're making this much content, what kind of effect and impact is it having in the lives of our audience? And, I think all the time about, you know, the the moment that we find ourselves in right now, you know, following this, this new sort of a new wave of the women's movement and equal rights and Me Too and and the fact that I think that Refinery29 was was we drafted this model, you know, for this very moment in time. We didn't know it then. And um, and we also have an enormous responsibility to be able to live up to that that legacy that I hope that we'll have at some point. You can't have a media company without having a really true understanding of what it is you want to leave behind someday. That legacy and that that impact that you guys want to make is mm-hmm. very very obvious. I think that a lot of people lose sleep um, in this company because they care so much. <laughs> But I think Pierre I and I... What? I do. Yeah, I, I do. I think Pierre and I really do because we, you know, we were the first people to make content for this company and we really feel like in laying that foundation, we want to make sure that that people feel really fulfilled by it and that it doesn't lose its path. Mm. One thing I find interesting is, um, you know, like, like our business, we're, we're a content business as well and, mm-hmm. and you know, from, from my observation, if you want to build influence or build an influential company or a media company, it comes down to producing more quality content at scale. And I'd, I'd love to hear your guys' take on that. Like, is more better or is it like how, like, 
you know, you guys have, have built a very, very influential brand. Like, how much, how much content do you guys produce now, like, per day? I mean, I think influence also comes down to risk taking. You know, as Christine was saying, like, I think, um, I mean, there, it's the it's the art. You know, it's the art and the science. I think yeah. it's not just about volume. Vo- it's not just about volume, and it's and you know, it's sort of like also quality can be subjective as as well Mm. Um, but I think it is about risk taking and it's about knowing that core of who you are and staying and staying true to it and in our case really caring deeply about our about knowing our audience and and how we can serve them Um, but yeah it, it is true that I think over time we've gone back and forth balancing sort of the you know, where our heart place of, of what it, you know, of our mission and what it is that we want to create for our audience and what we believe in and what we care about. Um, and then the, the metrics that Christine was speaking about of like, how do we do that and make sure that we're continuing to grow steadily, that we're delivering, you know, for our partners that we're, um, you know, that we're reaching as many people with the work that we do as possible. Um, and that, and that balance has, has also shifted because of, you know, even things that are external to us. You know, we've, as with most people in the digital media space, we've had to sort of shift to, to fit certain new, you know, new ways that different platforms are working. You know, something pops up, you have to respond, you have to learn mm. to make content in a new way for a new audience because it's an opportunity, but sometimes that can also be a hindrance. It can be, mean that you're, you know, at the will of something, an external, you know, an external platform that might not really align with what it is that you think is the best content to create for your audience. So I think that push and pull is something that we've, you know, that we've wrestle. wrestled with yeah. for, for years. And I think most people in the industry have. And I think that, um, I think it doesn't even have to be a media company. I think it's any company that's that's yeah. um, confronting the need for scale or the opportunities for scale. It honestly, if I've learned anything um, in the near 14 years that we've been doing this, it's that it all comes down to the people that you hire. Mm. Because scale is all about the people that you're trusting to handle the scale. So true. And I've, we've had some enormous success with, um, with finding people that deeply care about the mission of this company and the mission of the content. And it's possible to be able to produce, um, you know, a high volume of content and do it in a very, you know, meaningful and satisfying way. Um, but I think you have to really care about each piece and being able to share that um, that expectation with your team because there's a way to address volume that's not high quality and there's a way mm. to do it that is high quality. And I think that's something that we always really strive for, but we've also mm. learned, Pierre and I are both incredibly hands-on and it's been a real learning curve for us to let go a lot and to allow other people that in some cases are, are more skilled to be able to handle certain parts of the business now. And, you know, that's a really big step for any founder. Um, and it's been a huge part of our success, too. Is, and I think it's allowed us to grow. Um, I don't want to speak on behalf of her, but I know for me, it's allowed me to find other ways where I can be incredibly influential and, and you know, 
and useful, you know, to the team and to the brand. Yeah. So talk actually talk to me. Like, I, I, you know, you know, a company is only as strong as its team, right? So what what are the things that you guys look for in in great talent? Oh wow. I mean, for me, I just did an interview this morning, and it's someone that really that uses the product. You know, someone yeah, that really community. loves and has um, has a relationship with what we do. And because it makes, I always say this, it's like when you bring people on board that really, that, that automatically love the company, they love the brand, when things get hard and they will inevitably get hard, it actually helps those people to deal with the, with the issues that arise and recover quickly. People that don't have a personal connection to the business that they're working for, when there are big challenges or things fall apart or, you know, there's a fire drill, it's really hard to actually solve those problems because you don't care. And I think that we really feel very proud of the fact that we we attract so many people that that care about this company and care about, you know, the... um, you know, the, the role that we're playing in people's lives. So I think that that's like a big one. And I always really try to gauge, you know, obviously a person's skills and experience, you know, are tremendously important. You know, you want them to push whatever role it is forward. Yeah. You don't want them to just come in and, and replace the person that was mm-hmm. there before. Yeah. Um, and that's also on you to recognize, you know, what it is we did wrong last time and what it is we want to improve on this time. And the other thing is to just see enthusiasm in that person in the meeting. You know, if they're not smiling, if they're not excited about, you know, talking about, you know, what the responsibilities are, what the opportunities are in that role, it's going to be tough. It will be tough. Yeah, so they've got to be hungry. They have to be hungry and they have to be really eager. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I really would love to delve deep, a little deeper on is because you know you guys have got an incredible content business. For anybody that's watching this, what advice would you give for somebody, and this is for startups, this is for someone that has a personal brand, or somebody that wants to build a media company, what are like some things people should be thinking about of using content as a way to grow their business or their influence and, and impact other people or communities that they want to impact? I think for us, even though it was um, a number of years ago, I think the motivation to start a business is fairly universal, is that you feel that there is something missing. You feel that there is something missing, and, and usually you're not the only person. And I think once you feel like there is something missing and you're interested in, in potentially creating something that will fill that hole, it's you know, going about the business of collecting data and, you know, doing your background checks and all the research you can to see, like, what exactly is this opportunity? Is it an opportunity? And I think that what I always try to tell people is that when you have that feeling, like, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. I think that the feeling that I had when I met with Philip and Justin, and it was because I was coming off of, you know, helping to start the magazine that Pierre and I met on is that it's a lot of work. It's a, it's so much more work than you think it's going to be starting a business. It doesn't matter how small it is. It could be, you know, it could be 50 people. It could be 5,000 people. It's really, really hard. And it, it just takes some, so much time and commitment more than you ever imagine. And I remember when they were telling me about it and I started getting the feeling, and I've actually mentioned this before, I was like, oh God, I was like, I want to do this. 
I was so, I was so, I was like, oh no. I was like, here we go again. I was like, I'm, I, I want to do this. And I knew I couldn't actually, I knew I was not going to have, have the, the courage to step away from it and, um, and allow it to happen without me. And I think that those are the moments that, you know, sort of these, um, you know, potential entrepreneurs, when that happens, you have to really face the facts that this is going to be scary. It's going to be a ton of work. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to need the help of a lot of people. And, and a lot of times you're going to need the, their help for free. And um, you have to be able to ask for that help. And so great relationships really make a difference. But I think that those moments exist when you know that there's, it's, it's as though life is, is sort of like presenting something to you and you have a choice of either going this way or this way. And I think that people that are serial entrepreneurs, it's like tattoos and businesses, it's like people usually have more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just sort of an instinct. You can't, you can't really resist it because you know that it's actually going to, it's going to, have some kind of a, an effect in someone's life. It's going to, and hopefully it's going to succeed and it will, it will bring a lot of joy and, and prosperity to people as well as a, as a, as a byproduct. What do you think? You know, you hit, you hit it on the money like always. I just think it's a heart, it's a heart thing. It's like, you think it's a business decision, but it's so much about your heart and your sort of gut instincts that this is something that you only you can do. And, and I think that when we look at the great businesses that we really admire, that are so unique and have really left, you know, such a such an important mark in, you know, the history of businesses across all disciplines, they're the ones that only those people could make, you know, because they're just, they're just so remarkable and original. Um, so I think that when you have those moments, you just really need to, to listen to that voice. Mm-hmm. It sounds very woo-woo, but I really I like believe it. it. I have a confession to make. I Please. was I kind wow. of went off to another place because I was listening to you talk, and Christine's been on maternity leave, and I was just sitting here, and I was just so happy that you're back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> She's been on maternity leave, too, so. I was just happy. I was like, oh, I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> Thank you. That's so nice. I know after 14 years. Well, actually, yeah. I don't know. We've known each other for long, so yeah, much longer than so that long. now. <laughs> I know. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, well. yeah, I think also, I mean, I think to build on Christine, what Christine said, I mean, it, it, if you're getting into it, it's also like now content is such a crowded space. Yeah. I think it's so important to that, that you truly know what's missing and that you, you know, you really are passionate about, you know, delivering that and knowing, you know, who else is missing, you know, that same thing that you're missing. And, um, and that point of view is solid. Yeah, that your point of view is really solid. And that, you know, I think it's important to stay focused, too. I mean, for us, we're people that have a bazillion ideas all the time. But And I think it took us a lot of discipline at the beginning to really channel our ideas into this, you know, this space that we had, the focus that we had, and then slowly expand that focus over time. I mean, and, and and I think that's something that's I I often tell young entrepreneurs is you know it's good to know where where you have opportunity to grow where you might expand the business but like first nail it first nail it in the you know in the space that you're that you're in or or at least give it a good a good shot yep. um, because I think it's really easy to sort of 
Um, I see a lot of young entrepreneurs saying that they're, you know, they're going to do seven different things well. And especially when you are strapped for resources, when you're, you know, it's just you wearing all the hats, um, it's really hard to deliver on everything. So I think really knowing your point of view and um, trying to stay focused, you know, in the beginning is really critical to, to having that first breakthrough that then can lead to that future expansion. Yeah. Um, I've got two more questions. You got I like one more question. I'm going to take two. I got one more question. I can talk to you guys all day. Okay. So, um, Same. Question number one, what, what do you guys at Refinery29 classify as quality content? And question number two is where's the best place people can find out more about each of you and your work? And we'll wrap there. Okay. Wow, that, that really speaks to my my heart. Um, I honestly, when, when we're working through big complicated stories, I always tell the editor or the writer, you know, what's the headline you have to, and that's like not even just, you know, a digital perspective. I think you have to know what the headline is. Mm -hmm. And Mm. if that headline, it just is so irresistible to you, even before the story is written, it helps to guide you through this very circuitous path to find your way to the purpose of the story. And we've all read, we've all made commitments and read stories that have been ridiculously unsatisfying in the end. And you're like, wow, I wish I had those three hours back. Um, And we don't ever want that. I mean, I think that in the one thing that's wonderful about the digital space is that it's incredibly malleable. And, um, you know, if we make a mistake or we blow it with a story, we're able to learn from those mistakes and actually, you know, do it right the next time. And, um, and I really try to encourage people um, that work on our content to believe that, you know. And I think that it's always about going back to the stories that they're most proud of, that they really, really feel that the ones that they got emails about and texts about. And, mm, you know, enough. from people that are yeah. outside what we consider sort of like the target demographic. And we were talking about an essay that um, that did really, really well last week. Um, and... It, and actually, when, when we brought it up and we were talking about it in our exec meeting, like a few people around the table were like, oh, my God, I saw that. And like, you know, one of them was our was our chief counsel. And he was like, you know, somebody emailed me about that, um, about that essay. And that to me is like the greatest feeling. The greatest success is to know that something struck a chord that is universally felt. And I think that those are the themes that we want to tease out of our stories is like, why should people care? And I think that sometimes that can be lost in algorithms and, and you know, certain methodologies to, to um, get views, to get the most, yes, the most eyeballs to a story. So I think that when you start with that, it usually leads to, you know, really, really big successes and I think we're always really proud of that when we are really proud of a piece or a feature and we know that it it actually really mattered in people's lives um I don't think there's like any greater um greater reward incredible thank you for sharing Kara would you like to add anything or yeah I mean I think I mean I think that quality is is to us is really at the core, yeah, that it matters in someone's life, that it 
that it resonates with our audience, that it's serving a purpose and it knows what its purpose is to serve, whether it's educating, it's inspiring, it's instructional, um, you know, that there is, that there's a, a point to the piece. And, you know, I think that content can, you know, someone could think of, for example, like search content, SEO content as, as content that's not quality. But the way we think about it is that that's a moment in someone's life where they might only ask Google that question. And that could be a very, very vulnerable moment for us to show up and deliver something that is thoughtfully researched, beautifully designed, that, that you know, is inclusively written to really speak to someone and, and, and provide a deeper service and, and an emotional connection in that vulnerable moment. So I think it's really the, the approach that for us that that determines the quality is that just having um, having that audience at, at the center and really having the purpose. Um, and I love what Christine said about the headline too. Even in other creative projects, you know, sometimes I challenge the creatives to say like, what would the headline be for your project? What would you want the press to write about this project? Mm-hmm. Um, because it can be extremely, you know, you could say that for an aspiring entrepreneur too. What is the what is the ideal press headline for? you know, your launch, because it, it's so clarifying as to what it is that you're actually doing and really kind of being focused on that intention so that you can actually bring that to life um, in a meaningful way. It forces you to make a commitment. Yeah. When you get that headline, it's like, okay, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Mm. And it's, there's nothing like more energizing than having that, than having that push. Yeah, I love it. So uh, last question, where's the best place we can find out more about yourself and your work? I mean, Refinery29. <laughs> Probably Refinery29 <laughs> like or, life. or Instagram. Yeah, Instagram's yeah. actually a good, um, yeah. is a good, is a good lead. Okay, yeah. awesome. You want to drop the handles? Sure. I'm at Pierre Luisa. We got at Christine Barbaric over here. C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-E. <laughs> Barbaric. Do I have to spell that out Thanks, too? Thanks, Pete. No, that's okay. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Thank Maybe you. we can drop them in the lower third. <laughs> to meet you. Thank you, Pierre. Nice to meet you. you. Lovely to meet you. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.